The text for the message this morning is 1 Kings chapter 14, verses 1 to 20. As mentioned, the end of a short series on this section of Scripture, which ends with the death of Jeroboam. 1 Kings chapter 14, starting at verse 1, that's on page 295 in the Pew Bible. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise and disguise yourself, that it not be known that you are the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah the prophet is there, who said of me that I should be king over this people. Take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what shall happen to the child. Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. Now Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. And the Lord said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shall you say to her. When she came, she pretended to be another woman. But when, an, when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet, as she came in at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? For I am charged with unbearable news for you. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been like my servant David who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes. But you have done evil above all who were before you and have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger, and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam, and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free in Israel, and will burn up the house of Jeroboam, as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven shall eat, for the Lord has spoken it. Arise, therefore, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel, in the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam today. And henceforth, the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water and root up Israel out of this good land that he gave to their fathers and scatter them beyond the Euphrates because they have made their Asherim provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam which he sinned and made Israel to sin. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tirzah. And as she came to the threshold of the house, 
the child died. And all Israel buried him and mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah the prophet. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he warred and how he reigned, behold, they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And the time that Jeroboam reigned was twenty-two years, and he slept with his fathers, and Nadab his son reigned in his place. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we sang already, we sang many psalms speaking of the justice of God. Sometimes it's a difficult topic to face and to think about. Yet it's something that is a part of our our lives. We think of life here in, in Canada and the criminal justice system that upholds justice and punishes criminals we know ensures that the citizens of a country can enjoy freedom and peace. In the same way, God's punishment of those who rebel against him ensures the citizens of the kingdom of heaven that they can look forward to a time when there will truly be no more attacks from the evil one. The revelation of God's justice before the final day of judgment is good news for believers because it is both a warning that shows us his patience and an assurance that the holy God will punish the wicked people who would make eternal life in God's kingdom unpleasant. That's why we can even sing of God's justice. God reveals the consequences of our sin already now in this life so that if we are living in sin, we have time to repent. And so that if we are being harmed by others, we can know that that oppression will not last forever. And as we consider the amount of instruction that God gave to Jeroboam about his saving work through the line of David, and we remember the number of calls to repentance, signs, and warnings that Jeroboam received We could see that God is very patient with sinners. He gives sinners many opportunities to turn to Him in humility and repentance before Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. 1 Kings 14 reveals to us that there is also a limit to God's patience and that hard and impenitent hearts that persist in sins and refuse to respond to God's kindness forbearance and patience with faith, they will be punished with a just punishment. The instruction in 1 Kings 14 about the consequences for those who persist in their sins not only shows us our urgent need for the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ, but it also reveals to us the profound grace of our Heavenly Father who wants us to turn to Him for life. I preach you this gospel under the theme, God directs us to the cross of Christ by showing the consequences of our sins. Let's see the consequences for our own lives and the consequences of our sins for the next generation. Now after reading together 1 Kings 14 and 2 Chronicles 13, we have a very clear picture of the sinful life that Jeroboam had been leading. He provoked God to anger with his metal images. He cast God behind his back 
when he rejected Christ, who was promised to come in the line of David. He showed the basest ingratitude for the great privileges that God had poured out upon him. And in spite of God's warnings, he continued to abuse his position as king and leader of God's people. He had no reason to be surprised by the words that the prophet Ahijah spoke to him through his wife that he had sent to visit him. The Holy Spirit shows us that although Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way like we read in the end of 1 Kings 13, Jeroboam did remember the Lord when his son Abijah became sick. Sometimes it takes a crisis to make people who have grown worldly in their living and abandoned the worship of God to think seriously about God again. When Jeroboam decided to reach out to the prophet Ahijah, it reminds us of those people we may know who have left the church and yet pray desperately to the very God they turned away from when they are now in a hospital bed or a hospital room beside their loved ones or when they're trying to find comfort from the scriptures at family funerals. We look at people like this, we see them in a church building, we see them praying, and, and we, we think they're, they're so close. Crises and tribulations have a way of reminding us that our human-made crutches are idols that are as useless as statues made to look like bulls, and that we are actually very weak people who are completely dependent on the Creator of heaven and earth. It's a humbling moment when we see that our problems cannot be solved with things that money can buy, or with science, or medical doctors. Just like Jeroboam knew that the false priests he had assigned to help him give the illusion of control, those priests could not help him. People who have once tasted the goodness of God, but then turned from him, can get so close to the truth. We see that here in 1 Kings 14. But it's difficult. It's difficult to lift up our eyes to heaven again after we have sinned against the Lord. One of the consequences of our sins is that it makes it more difficult to talk to God because our sins make us feel ashamed. I'm sure that we all know that feeling, the difficulty of praying after we've committed sins. Shame is a consequence of our sins that can either lead us to fight our sins with godly sorrow and genuine repentance, or that shame can lead us to wander away from God. And sadly, Jeroboam's shame for disregarding the instruction of Ahijah, the prophet who had instructed him to walk in obedience in the way of David so that he might be saved, uh, 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 Jeroboam's shame did not lead him to confess his sins. He did not go to the prophet to seek repentance. Rather, just like a man might send a messenger to a fortune teller to, what, to find out what to expect in the future, we read that Jeroboam sent his wife to the prophet to discover what shall happen to the child. 
14, verse 3. It's not clear why Jeroboam sent his wife disguised to meet with the prophet. Was it because he didn't want anyone to know that he himself did not believe his own imitation religion could reveal the truth? Was he hoping that his disguised wife with her gifts of food could trick a blessing out of the blind prophet just like Jacob had done to his blind father Isaac? Were they hoping that God would be more merciful to an anonymous mother than he would to the wife of the king of Israel? Did Jeroboam think he could bypass God's justice and holiness through his own ingenuity? As we scratch our heads and we read this, we wonder what Jeroboam was doing in an attempt to get some kind of revelation out of the prophet. The only thing we can be sure of was that he was conniving and not contrite. Whatever was in his mind, it was clear that Jeroboam's shame did not lead him to repentance. He was so close. But in the end, all God's instructions about salvation in the line of David through Jesus Christ and all the warnings he received with signs that made it clear that God would keep his word, all these things fell on deaf ears. Rather than repent, he turned his back on the Lord. He, as we read in Romans, he presumed on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead him to repentance. Well, the death of Jeroboam's sixth son was considered a mercy for Jeroboam's son because of all the suffering that it would spare him from. He would be the only one to be buried in a grave with mourners around him. But for Jeroboam and his wife, it was a terrible punishment to suffer. The prophet called it unbearable. Can you imagine what they had gone through, what Jeroboam's wife must have experienced to know that returning to the house, entering the city, her son would die? A taste of the wrath of God, a taste of hell itself. And it was just the beginning of the punishment they would endure. We read in 2 Chronicles 13 that God defeated Jeroboam and Israel in, in battle before Abijah and Judah as a clear punishment for the list of sins that the king Abijah read to Jeroboam and all of Israel from the mountaintop as, as an indictment, an explanation of the defeat. After half a million of Jeroboam's soldiers were defeated, struck down in spite of an ambush and overwhelming odds, we read that Jeroboam did never, didn't recover power. And then in 2 Chronicles 13, verse 20, speak, pointing to a very violent death, we read the Lord struck him down and he died. Jeroboam died knowing that all the things he had worked for, all those things he had valued, his kingdom on earth, all of it would be lost. First Kings 14 confirms what the Holy Spirit says in Romans 2, verse 2. We know 
that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Hard and impenitent hearts, those who persist in their sins, refusing to give them up. We read they're storing up wrath for the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And we do well to pay attention to the Lord's warnings, recognizing the holiness of God, recognizing that this is real. And so that we may be driven to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it happens in our lives that we face crises that expose how much we have been relying on ourselves, how much we've been relying on our own strength. We see that the web of lies and deception we've built up are unable to last through the trials. And we are reminded that there is no help for us apart from the Lord. When that feeling of shame as a consequence of our sin persists, it's an indication that it's time to make peace with God. Not through our ingenuity, not through our attempts to manipulate God's servants, not in in, in an attempt to bargain with God. For God can see through all our disguises and masks just like he, He saw through the disguise of Jeroboam's wife. No, not that way. But we find peace with God by confessing our sins, turning in faith to Jesus Christ as our mediator. In Ahijah's prophecy, you can see verses 8 to 9, the Lord compares King Jeroboam to King David who had come before to make it clear that God is looking to see what is living in our hearts. Although both Jeroboam and David were sinners, David's heart was different from Jeroboam's heart. David loved the Lord and followed Him with all his heart. But Jeroboam didn't really understand who the Lord was because he didn't listen to the Word of the Lord. David wanted to obey the Lord's commands, which he revealed when he expressed his sorrow over the sins he had committed, when he came to the Lord with right sacrifices. But Jeroboam turned to disguises and tricks with gifts rather than sincere repentance. David put his trust in the Lord. He put his hope in the coming Messiah. And so that because of this union with Christ, the Lord could say that he did only what was right in the eyes, giving Christ's righteousness to David. But Jeroboam rejected his only hope. He rejected Christ and never returned to him. Jeroboam would face very different consequences for his sins than David did because Jeroboam persisted in his sins and did not repent. Whereas God preserved David's line through the generations until the coming of Jesus Christ, Jeroboam was told that his house would be destroyed. And the message of hope and instruction for us is that though we sin, we do not need to suffer God's punishment for these sins if we turn to Jesus Christ in faith and receive forgiveness in Him. People only suffer God's wrath if they persist in their sins, if they refuse to repent, if they hold them in and keep them secret rather than confess them before the Lord. 
And if they don't repent, not only are they punished, for their, but their sins also have consequences for the next generation we see in 1 Kings 14. If your children and the next generation don't see you repenting from your sins, these sins have a way of influencing their lives in a very negative way. There are consequences for the next generation. The prophet Ahijah told Jeroboam that his sins would have consequences in the next generations. The death of the child who was still young was one more sign confirming Ahijah's promise of even greater punishment for his entire house. His kingdom, we read, would be handed over to another His family would be wiped out from the earth in a most shameful and disgraceful manner, using somewhat crass language to almost spit out the curse. The prophet Ahijah let Jeroboam know that God would cut off from Jeroboam every male, and and to refer to males, he says, every one who urinates against a wall, both bond and free in Israel, he would burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung till it is all gone. He promised dead bodies in the city eaten by dogs. Birds would eat anyone in Jeroboam's house who died in the open country. Israel itself that the Jeroboam had worked so hard to, to build up and to make great again would be handed over to another family struck by the Lord. We read in verses 14 to 16. Rooted up scattered beyond the Euphrates. It's the the first prophecy of the exile of Israel. The clear warning in this prophecy against Jeroboam is that the consequences of our sins are not limited to suffering and death in our own lives. Our sins can also have consequences in the lives of all who are in our sphere of influence. The subjects of a king suffer for the sins of their leader. Employees suffer when employers lead sinful lives. The children suffer as a result of of the, the sins of their parents. The second commandment makes it clear that when a people turn to false worship of God through carved images, God will visit the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. Although that's not without exceptions, as we see in Ezekiel 18, there is a close connection between the faith of parents and the spiritual well-being of their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. Our text today shows us that the consequence of our sins can last for several generations after we die. When we read about the kings of Israel that came after Jeroboam, the Bible keeps telling us that future generations, they they clung to the sins of Jeroboam. You'll read again and again, he did not repent from the sins of his father Jeroboam until the day came around 180 years later that Ahijah's prophecy in 1 Kings 14, verses 15 to 16 was fulfilled, and Israel was taken to exile in Assyria. The last word of God that Jeroboam heard spoken to him through his messenger wife was that the Lord would give up Israel because of the sins 
of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. And if you read of that actual exile in 2 Kings 15, that point is repeated. It was because the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and which Israel did not repent from. Leaders of the church have a serious responsibility. Decisions made today can impact the faithfulness of a church 180 years after us. As we reflect on that and reflect on our relationship to the next generation, think of our task as, as parents, the older generation in a congregation. If you are parents, the decisions you make affect your children. When you decide where to live or how to spend your time, you're not just making these decisions for yourselves as adults, but also for future generations. Believers do not just take responsibility for themselves, but also for the children who share in the covenant promises with them. You might be able to remain a Christian if you regularly miss church services or convince yourself that you are are able to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. But think about what that does to your children. Your choice to live near a faithful church or not. The way that you sing in church. What you say about the worship services afterwards. All these things reveal to the next generation what, you, what value you place on the Scriptures, on the Word of God, on the truth of the Gospel, and worship in this life. Deuteronomy 4-6, to 6, Psalm 78, they show us how God uses our teaching and our example to prepare the next generation. That's a responsibility that we need to think about carefully. Makes us think about our attitudes and our decisions. The younger generation is watching and learning. Jesus' warning in Matthew in Luke 17 echoes in our ears, "Woe to the person who causes one of these little ones to sin." You can imagine the children of parents who only focused on themselves during their their lives now crying out on on judgment day if you knew the truth why did you display in your attitudes that it was all a meaningless show why did you teach me that work and sports and vacations are more important than bowing before the Lord and following in his ways as Christians of all ages we need to see think about our decisions, and how they affect the next generation. The text also gives instructions to all of us who are children, young people, or all of us who consider ourselves to be the younger generation in a church. It warns us not to be so naive as to think that just because something was done before us, that it's necessary something that pleases the Lord. You see, not every parent, teacher, leader is necessarily obeying God's will in, in everything they, they do and they say. Not always leading us to grace in Christ Jesus. 
We're not bound by family ties or church name to cling to the sins of our fathers like the generations after Jeroboam clung to his sins. We don't have to cling to what the generations before us did. The Lord's punishment against Solomon told that to Jeroboam. And his judgment on Jeroboam showed that to his children. It teaches us how it's so important to always be discerning, always reforming. And when we see how God showed mercy to Jeroboam's son, Abijah, in spite of the sins of his father, because in him there was found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel. We see that God is continuing to show mercy and patience and forbearing to, to us as children, to us as the next generation, so that we have time to repent. And Romans 2 applies to us as well. Let the, the, let the young child Abijah's peaceful burial in a grave with mourners around him stand as a testimony of the Lord's promise that He will not hold the sins of our fathers against us if we refuse to continue in them. Ezekiel 18, as Christians of the next generation, whatever age we may be, we pray that we may be continually vigilant, continually discerning, continually bending our knees to Christ as King. You see, the good news is that our sins not only have consequences for ourselves and for the next generation, but they also had consequences for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came from heaven to take the sins of everyone who believes in Him upon Himself. The gospel message for every one of us fighting against our, our sins is that Jesus Christ came to bear, that, bear God's wrath that is so clearly revealed in Scripture. He came to be condemned to hell so that whoever believes in Him would never have to pay the price for the sins that they are hating and, and fleeing from in their lives. Jesus broke the cycle of sin being passed from one generation to the next. He broke the cycle of, of original sin as well as He was born without any sin. Because although our sins and rebellion can have ruinous consequences on our lives and on the lives of everyone who... Uh, and, uh, and, and on the lives of the generations after us, our sins cannot change God for his steadfast love remains forever his arms are open to receive us when we come to him in Christ in humility God sent his son for this very purpose he sent his son to bear the consequences of the sins of everyone who hates their sins who confesses these sins who repents from their sins, who receives God's offer to forgive us our sins through the death of Christ on the cross. And our text again urges us to go to Him in humility, to toss away all those disguises that we use to cover over our sins and hide them from others, to trust the promise 
that Jesus Christ truly was punished in the place of everyone who believes in him. That's the gospel we see, we cling to, we love. And brothers and sisters, today, like every day in our lives, today is the day for repentance. As long as you are alive, there is always hope for those who turn to Jesus Christ, for you, for your children, for, for the next generation. For that is the very reason He came, for undeserving sinners like us. May God use the revelation of the consequences of persisting in our sins to drive us again to the cross of Christ on our knees in repentance to find there the blessed reality of the forgiveness of all our sins, of being washed clean, of being made righteous and innocent before our Heavenly Father who has compassion on us like a father who has compassion on his children. Amen. Now respond by singing Psalm 75. Again, a song that praises God for His justice and His judgment. We know that in this way He is purifying for Himself the kingdom of light that we have a part in. And we'll sing together Psalm 75. Stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. A warning for those persisting in sins. A comfort for those who are longing for sinless kingdoms.